Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond with you once again, and uh, hope you're having a wonderful week as you're celebrating Easter, celebrating the resurrection here during this octave of Easter. I want to ask, have you ever been next to someone and you didn't recognize them right away? And if it's someone maybe you haven't seen them in years... You might have had that flicker of recognition, but you can't place who it is. You can't quite recall where you met them in the past, what their name is. And you may have experienced this kind of uh, thing even to a greater degree with COVID and wearing masks. Have you walked past somebody in one of your local stores only to have it hit you right after you've walked that few steps beyond them? You know that person. You really have to pay attention to their eyes, right? With the mask that covers up the nose, the mouth, you have to pay attention. And you can also see it in somebody else's eyes, that delayed realization when it dawns on them that, oh, they know you. Uh, So have you had that happen? Well, I'm a pretty big fan uh, fan of science fiction. That's something I kind of inherited from my father. He he had this huge bookcase full of hundreds of pocket-sized paperback science fiction novels, stories by people like Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein, uh, Arthur C. Clarke, Ursula K. Le Guin, all these different uh, science fiction authors, and like I say, hundreds of these little paperback novels. And then also every night when I was young, he would have the television turned on to the station that aired those reruns of Star Trek. So I grew up watching Kirk and Spock and McCoy. And then in 1985, we bought our very first VCR. And there was the question, VHS, Betamax, right? And we ended up going with VHS. You know, we, we chose correctly. And one of the very first movies that we bought, he bought three right when we got that VCR. And one of the three was The Empire Strikes Back. And out of all the different Star Wars movies that have been produced over the last several decades now, uh, The Empire Strikes Back, it's still probably my favorite. Uh, I've watched it dozens of times, whether just on my own to enjoy the, the movie itself or introducing one of my kids to it. And there's this great scene where Luke Skywalker, he goes in search of a Jedi master and trainer, Yoda, and he's been given that name by the spirit of Obi-Wan Kenobi, but he doesn't know really much about Yoda at all other than the name and where he's supposed to go and find Yoda, and he lands on this swampy planet of Dagobah, and Luke decides he needs to set up camp, and he, he wants to find Yoda, but he doesn't even know where to start looking, and as he's getting his camp set up, this funny little-looking green alien with big eyes and even bigger ears stumbles across Luke and R2-D2 there, 
And Luke is annoyed. He's annoyed uh, by this little alien who is honestly a little bit of a pest and keeps on asking questions. And he's prying and digging through Luke's gear. And Luke tries to be patient. The alien offers, uh, in, in the course of a little bit of conversation, he says, oh, you're looking for someone. I'll help you find your friend. And Luke explains, he says, I'm not looking for a friend. I'm looking for this Jedi master. And the alien's eyes go even wider. And he says, oh, Yoda, you seek Yoda. And I'm not going to try and impersonate Yoda's voice. But he says, you're seeking Yoda. And Luke wants to be taken to seeing Yoda right away, as soon as he knows this alien knows who this Jedi Master is. But the alien says, no, 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 no. Uh, we'll make dinner first. And so he, he takes Luke to where he lives. And Luke is waiting for dinner, wanting to hurry up, wanting to get on with finding Yoda. And his impatience and his frustration, they finally get the better of him. He loses his cool, and he has this little bit of a blow-up there. Uh, you know, we're wasting time. I don't even know what I'm doing here. And then the alien gets very serious and starts conversing with the spirit of Obi-Wan Kenobi about how I'm not going to be able to train Luke as a Jedi. And you see this dawning realization on Luke's face. I've been in the presence of Yoda this whole time. It's, it's this great scene, and I'm not worried about spoilers because I'm going to imagine most people have probably seen that or at least know who Yoda is. Uh, but it has some, some elements that are in common with today's gospel reading for Mass. Today we hear the story of two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus. And as they're on their journey, they have a stranger who joins them, invites himself into their conversation, just kind of butts in like Yoda does with Luke. And just like Yoda is making a meal for Luke when he finally reveals his identity, well, similarly, we see the eyes of Jesus' disciples. They're open to see Jesus himself as he's breaking the bread at the beginning of their evening meal. Of course, there's so much more richness to the story of Jesus and his disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, But have you had that kind of experience where you didn't realize in the moment that you were in the presence of someone that you knew or someone maybe for whom you were searching, and even more to the point, when have you had that experience or that encounter with someone where only at the end, maybe looking back, maybe in retrospect, you suddenly realized that you had in a way encountered Jesus? And today we want to look at how we can be ready to know when we encounter Jesus, that we're not caught off guard or we don't miss those opportunities to learn from Jesus or to serve Jesus in whatever way, whatever guise he may come to us uh, in our lives. And to do that, we're going to do it with one of the regular spiritual directors here on The Inner Life. We're going to look at how we can recognize Jesus when he comes to us in our lives. Father Sam Martin is joining us. He's the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. Father Martin, welcome back to The Inner Life. Oh, it's good to be with you, Josh, and all of the folks listening in today. And I really... uh I enjoyed that uh, that setup, Josh. That was really uh, the parallels are very obvious to me. So uh, well done. Well, thank you. And uh, now I, I'm going to imagine there might be a few more people that are going to go back and rewatch uh, The Empire Strikes Back at some point in the next day or two. Because uh, as soon as I started kind of writing out, I said, "Oh, now I just want to go watch the movie again." <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's set in the cold uh, setting at the beginning, and for us in Wisconsin, the spring has kind of sprung. So. Uh, but I suppose uh, you know, all of those scenes, it's amazing. That's the great thing about the power of, of the media is it can do a great good, too. I mean, it can point to the spiritual truths that uh, if you can tie into those, then it's like we have that epiphany, too, or something wakens in us. Like, oh, 
Yeah, that is a good point. That's oh, sure, I can see that. So anyway, uh, as an old teacher, I appreciate um, what you just set up for us today, Josh. Well, thanks. So as we want to be able to recognize Jesus, it seems to me that we're going to have a much harder time recognizing him if we don't know him well. You know, as we look at those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they knew Jesus. They didn't recognize him in his glorified body after the resurrection. We also see something kind of similar with Mary Magdalene. You know, she's there frustrated that she doesn't know where Jesus' body is, even though she's had the angel uh, that's there at the tomb say he's risen, but she's still trying to look and search, and she wants to know where Jesus is, and she actually mistakes Jesus when he comes up. She thinks he's the gardener. And so we've got people who actually know Jesus personally, um, you know, here during his earthly life, and they had a hard time recognizing him right after the resurrection. Also, they probably weren't expecting, you know, this miraculous resurrection. But if we are going to be able to recognize Jesus, it seems that we're going to get to—we need to get to know him and get to know him well. So what do you think is a good place that we can start— to get to know Jesus better? It comes in different forms for different people, I think, Josh. I always, you know, like C.S. Lewis, here's a guy that, uh, you know, struggled with atheism as a teenager, but he discovered, you know, that he just knew some things were right and some things were wrong, and that this law written on his heart, it, he was a thinker, so it, it implied that there must be a lawgiver. Uh, whereas a, a girl like Jennifer Fulweiler, she struggled with atheism too, but uh, this famous story that she tells about a a salesman that called, and she and her college classmates were going to kind of mock him, and uh, so they put it on speakerphone. And anyway, in the course of this conversation, it comes out that this man is a very devout Christian, and uh, it was in the the darkness of his life and his suffering. And we, he was, you know, an alcoholic, and his wife had taken the kids and left, and he just all of a sudden started to to turn to God, a God that he didn't know, but he said that he he found that. This was the one person in the universe that loved him and was going to forgive him and give him hope. And, and so at the end of this, he, he explains to Jennifer, and he doesn't know he's speaking to you know, 10 others in the room, but he says that um, it's just nice to share the faith with someone else. It's kind of a lonely world, and when you meet someone that knows Jesus, it's just the peace that he brings. And, and she said that, that she wanted to mock him, but by the time he'd been so vulnerable, when she hung up the phone, she knew right then that she didn't know that peace. She didn't know Jesus but she wanted to. She decided then and there that she wanted to discover. So and I think that many times it's, uh, it's his friends, you know, that uh, we start to see something in them that attracts us to them. There are just many ways to come to the Lord. I think first to acknowledge that I don't know him. All right, do you want to? You know, because uh, the old adage about leading the horse to the water but not making him drink, each person is given that freedom at the level of our conscience. And we hope our own life will awaken that if it's dormant, uh, that somehow uh, every human life is only, the purpose and meaning of it is really only uh, realized in Jesus. He's the, the whole point of our, our time in this world, and he's the one who made our time in the next world possible, uh, that his, his kingdom in heaven now is open to those of us who will trust him and let him save us. So, but many ways to come to the Lord. Now, but, uh, you know, among our listeners, you would hear, oh, so many different wrinkles, the same truth that they realize all of a sudden God is a real person. And that means that he wants to be known. He knows us, and he wants to offer uh, a relationship. He reveals himself in the Scripture in so many other ways. 
So, uh, but now he leaves it up to us. We have to decide. We have to make a choice, and uh, one at a time. But please, God, that all will know Him. Jesus said, "You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free." Pontius Pilate says, "What is the truth?" <laughs> and of course, he's right in front of him. The truth isn't an idea or a thing, an object. It's a person. And knowing that truth of Jesus does set us free. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned uh, scripture. That's one of the things that uh, you know comes to my mind immediately. If we want to get to know Jesus, we can read about him there. Um, the other that comes to my mind is, and you you get scripture as well as preaching, proclaiming what we believe if you attend Mass, because there's going to be typically a homily, and that homily is supposed to reflect on the Gospel reading first. It can go on to, you know, the other readings or other, you know, if it's a feast day or different things, but there's at least supposed to be some reflection on what is happening in that day's Gospel reading. So both with Scripture and with the proclamation of that homily, that seems like two very obvious starting points where somebody could get to know Jesus better. That uh, hits the nail on the head. You know, when I was teaching, you could tell uh, pretty readily who was going to Mass on a regular basis and who wasn't. Not that you wanted to judge, but the kids that, re- you know, went and sat through those uh, Masses, they, they're sponges. All of us are, especially when we're younger. So their knowledge of the Scripture was far, would far surpass those of their classmates who weren't attending, that just didn't go and maybe Christmas and Easter kind of thing, but not week after week. So we're exposed to lots of the New Testament especially, but always the Old Testament too, how Jesus came not to abolish but to fulfill the, the kind of the typology that you see back and forth, and, and that's all intentional. The Church wants us to see that this didn't just happen. You know, God is a patient God. He's been working at this for millennia. And then in the fullness of time, his son comes, and, and the early Christians thought, well, now it's, it's over. Now we can party and, and relax. And then they, by the end of the first century, they're starting to realize, and so St. John writes his, the book of, of Revelation, that we're going to have to kind of dig in here, you know, uh, brothers and sisters, disciples of Jesus. We're going to have to uh, kind of hunker down, because even though it's the already, he's, the Paschal mystery is complete. It's the not yet in us and in the world. The world, uh, Jesus came among his own, and his own rejected him. And uh, so getting to know the Jesus, uh, the Jesus who lives among us, I mean, there's also, Josh, you've made a, a good point about that um, we have to know him, that's indispensable. But then there's the flip side. If we, we think we know him better than, uh, than he knows himself or, or we're disappointed with who he really is, and that can cut both ways, that knowledge of him, you can't be a disciple without it. But uh, in the case of the Pharisees and the scribes, they thought they knew him so well that they missed him when he did come. And that uh, sometimes that, uh, it breaks the hardness in our own heart, our narrowness. That's something that the devil doesn't want us to know Jesus, period. But if we do, he wants it to be a kind of a corrupted image uh, of the real God. Mm. Yeah, you know, that, that also makes me think of the fact that Jesus... There, there's the, you know, the fact that he, I'm presuming to a degree, he probably concealed himself to those disciples on the road to Emmaus, not revealing himself until they sat down to eat. And my presumption here, and you can, you can tell me I'm flat out wrong on this, Father Martin, but uh, my presumption is that he allowed this to happen so that 
they wouldn't be distracted by being so excited and overwhelmed with emotion that he was there in front of them and resurrected, but that he allowed that conversation to take place because it says in that in that gospel passage that he started with the uh, fathers and the prophets, and he goes through and explains how the chosen one, this Christ, the Messiah, had to suffer and die, and he relates all of the Old Testament, all the different uh, prophecies, all the different things that are tied to the Messiah, to the Christ, ties it back and explains on that long journey. And I've got to believe that's for their benefit, even though it's, well, why didn't they recognize him right away? But he also conceals himself regularly, you know? I mean, it's only, I'm thinking, the only real time that I think we get to see even that that picture of his full glory is when Peter, James, and John are up on the mountain with him, and he's transfigured before them. And then he even tells them, don't tell anybody else about this as they're walking down the mountain. And even for us today, he conceals himself in what looks like it should just be a normal wafer of, of unleavened bread or normal wine in a chalice, but he is there. And so with Jesus concealing himself— uh, why do you think, is that just so that we're able to approach him and not be too overwhelmed by the glory, by the majesty that is there? Well, you ask good questions, Josh. <laughs> There's so many levels that, um, you know, there, first, I mean, whatever our conversion is, that's the beginning of our faith life, but not the end. There are always our conversions within conversions. And, uh, you know, somebody that's as intimate a friend and such a dear friend of our Lord as Mary Magdalene, even she doesn't recognize him. And it's just to say that, you know, we're never going to know God so well that we know everything about him. We know more about who God is and than, than who he actually is. So, And uh, he doesn't do this to, to torment or to, you know, to belittle us, but to help us to grow. So Mother Teresa has this call within a call, that, uh, and that some would say, well, that her former life was a waste. No, it was a, it was a pedestal, it was a... It was the starting ground of something that God was going to do later, but she wasn't ready yet, and so he doesn't reveal everything in one fell swoop uh, because typically we're not able to handle that. So, uh, And I think the idea of the road to Emmaus is also that Jesus knows this is a, a universal call to holiness, and we don't all get to walk the seven miles from Jerusalem literally with this stranger, uh, but we can all be... Uh, awakened by the scriptures that are, you know, we're not our hearts burning within us. I hope so. I don't know if I've ever given a homily where anybody's ever said that, but uh, that's our our task. That's our goal. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do: is to say, this message is as relevant now, and it has the capacity to heal, to reconcile, to unite people, uh, to give us direction and purpose, uh, to be brave in our struggles, and so that's, I think, you know the. The experience they had is a unique one, and not one that we can access in terms of walking with Jesus and not knowing it was Him. But allowing the Lord to reveal to us what He, you know, who He is and what He had in mind when He came into this world, well, that that's as available to us now as it was to them. It's just a matter of reading the Scriptures with faith, begging the Holy Spirit to help us. I mean, it's always if you read the Scripture, it's always good to pray to the Holy Spirit first because He inspired those words. And uh, he knows what they mean. And each one of us is going to get something different each time we come, because we're changing. The scriptures are immutable. You know, revelation is complete. There's not going to be anything new. There's private revelation and all of that. But in terms of what God wanted to tell us, he gave us everything we need. But we change, so we receive it differently because, well, now I'm, 
I'm a little more mature. I've suffered, so I've gone through a few things, and I see my life and other people's lives differently. So there's a lot there, Josh. I tell you, this is um, <laughs> uh, it's just like diving into the ocean here, right. and uh, no one gets bored if they uh, follow the Lord, that's for sure. Our guest, our, our spiritual director today is Father Sam Martin, a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. We're talking about getting to know Jesus so we can recognize him when he comes to us at those points in our lives where we might not be expecting him. And when have you had that experience? When have you had that encounter with someone where only at the end, maybe looking back, you, you said, oh, boy, I didn't realize, realize it at the time, but I think I just encountered Jesus. We'd love to hear how you've been able to grow in that maturity, in that ability to recognize when Jesus is communicating with you, is when you've encountered him, especially in being able to read the Gospels and being able to grow in that personal relationship with him, you can give us a call at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, or email innerlife at relevantradio.com. We'll have more right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. The Inner Life with Josh Raymond on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. Our spiritual director today, Father Sam Martin, pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, Wisconsin, in the Diocese of La Crosse. And we're talking about encountering Jesus, trying to recognize when he comes to us so that we don't miss those opportunities. When have you had that experience, that encounter, where maybe after the fact, you looked back and said, oh, that was an encounter with Jesus right there. Uh, you can give us a call and share your story, 888-914-9149. That's 888 And uh, Father Martin, before the break, we were talking about how Jesus can conceal himself sometimes where we don't have, we don't have that ability to see him as we might think we want to see him, as we might think, uh, why doesn't he just make it obvious to us? But that also allows us then to look at, um, in the 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, we have that story of the sheep and the goats, and it's one of my favorites. I just keep going back to that again and again and again in my life, um, because I look there and, you know, the 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 question from both the, sh- the people that are, you know, that group of sheep and then the people that are the group of goats, it's, when, Lord, when did we see you? And it's always when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, and either you did give me something or you didn't give me something. I was sick or I was in prison. You did visit me or you didn't visit me. And that's the separation there. But it's, you know, as much as you did it to one of these little ones, these least of my brothers or sisters, you've done it unto me. And looking at that, is that something where we should just 
even seek out those opportunities, look for those people that are in need, and not necessarily have to reinvent the wheel. There's so many good apostolates, so many good ministries out there that are helping those, but be able to get involved in those ways. And we're going to have, again, just like we were talking about, encountering Jesus in the Gospels, encountering Jesus in the homily that's proclaimed at Mass, in the Eucharist at Mass. Uh, Will we then, if we're able to devote ourselves to some of those works of mercy, Are we going to have that real encounter with Jesus in an easier way? Will we recognize him more readily in those around us if we are engaging in those works of mercy? Yeah, that's the Mother Teresa always, that was probably her favorite gospel, you know, the gospel of the five fingers. You know, she used to, you did it for me. And uh, in her own life, you know, that she had this greater awareness of Christ in distressing disguise and how she was able to uh, to minister to him in so many different forms, especially in those who were dying on the streets alone and, and bereft of hope. And many of them were Hindu, but she brought to them the message of the gospel, which is good news for all people, that God had a son who gave his life for his people and thereby opened the kingdom, uh, not of this world, but a king nevertheless. And so uh, it's probably it's a, a hallmark of a deepening spiritual life with the Lord is, is starting to see him more readily in others that we maybe didn't even notice him before. And uh, you see that in the early church and even now that um, as we grow closer to Jesus, we, we recognize that he's in every one of us in some way, shape, or form, that we exist by his love, by his power holding us in existence. And uh, now, of course, sometimes we put the cart before the horse that, um, you know, we just want to do service without the relationship with Jesus, and that can be a little dangerous because of our relentless ego that um, I think Pope Benedict in his encyclical on love, Deus uh, Estamor or whatever, that um, he was talking about that sometimes we, we serve but not with a humble heart. There's almost something in it for us that uh, we always have to kind of be guarded. So Mother Teresa, again, had this little formula that, that kind of would purify the, our motives, and she said that you know prayer is the fruit of silence, faith is the fruit of prayer, love is the fruit of faith, service is the fruit of, of love. So it comes way down the line that and Mother Teresa was a woman of great prayer. And uh, that allowed her then uh, to serve with a smile, even though it was a struggle for her and all the things that are, are very human about, um, you know, taking care of people that sometimes are not so lovable. They're not uh, even likable, but uh, with God's help, uh, we can start to see the good in them. So I think that if we have a real aversion to a lot of people, uh, that's a call to prayer. Uh, it's not, well, I just need to mind over matter. I just need to, you know, just see the good in them. <laughs> that uh, doesn't really get deep into our hearts. So it's God alone. He's the only one who can change our hearts. to, And that's a slow process. Uh, but with God's help, we start to then detect in ourselves, too, which is, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's probably the hardest person for us to love is the one we see in the mirror every morning. But um, Jesus, he's in us too, and we want to recognize that our, our life is a gift. But that passage, is that's the final exam of human existence. That's how we're going to be judged, you know. Did, uh, did we knowingly turn away from him? And most of us would say sometimes we did. And we, uh, we see that more maybe in hindsight, retrospect. And please, God, we can learn from that. We all make mistakes. We all miss some opportunities to love uh, as God loves us. But uh, as long as we're honest, bring those things, those to the Lord and let him help us, then 
that becomes a teachable moment. And you and me, Josh, and everyone listening, we could give some examples of people that um, they were Jesus, but we didn't know it. And uh, we look back, and uh, but that's why, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. I think it was Socrates said that. So we examine our life to see, uh, you know, uh, we can learn and uh, take a step forward. Yeah. We're talking with Father Sam Martin today, trying to recognize when Jesus comes to us, just like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, so that we're ready, so that we're not caught off guard, or we don't miss that opportunity. And when have you had that opportunity to encounter Jesus, maybe in somebody that said something to you, maybe in helping somebody who needed some help, um, whatever it might be, you can call and share your story, 888-914-9149. And, Father, let's go to Nick. He's listening in Frankfurt, Illinois. Hi, Nick. Welcome to The Inner Life today. Hello, Father, and Josh, thanks a lot for taking my call. It's always an honor to share something that's related to the Eucharist of our Lord's presence in the Blessed Sacrament. So that's what my call is. The thrust of it is I uh, I started out, I'm a, I've been a Catholic all my life, and I didn't understand the Eucharist. I wasn't catechized properly. I didn't believe in the real presence. And then I had a mentor that came along and began my conversion. And in that process, he had a Eucharistic love, which he, I was attracted to. And um, so just to, to go forward a little bit, that one Saturday morning I was before a tabernacle at a local church and just trying to grasp our Lord's presence in the, in the sacrament. And I was kneeling before the tabernacle all by myself, and I said, Lord, I just don't feel you here. And lo and behold, so shortly after that, a priest came up with the ciborium, and he placed it in the tabernacle. And I asked the priest, I said, was, was there a real presence here before you did that? And he said, no. And I didn't think too much of it at the time, but as I started to study, I was reading a book called Our Greatest Treasure back then. This is back in the early 80s. And uh, I, I thought back to that moment. I said, the Lord was telling me, you know, Nick, I'm, I'm letting you know that I wasn't there not so you can concentrate on that, but so you can concentrate more on when I am here. And when I go, now I'm a daily, thank, praise the Lord, I'm at Mass three day now, and um, it, I just can't get past it, the consecration that the priest is there in persona priest day, and the Holy Spirit comes down upon that altar, and that bread and wine is changed into his body and blood. I, I just can't get past it. I just feel it so so much more even powerfully at that moment than I do now. I read him in Holy Communion, and I, I think that uh, he says, Nick, I want you to have a Eucharistic heart. He said, um, he said, he tells me, when, when, when I'm not there, you're going to feel it, and when I am there, be thankful that I'm there. And I truly believe that this Eucharistic non-recognition of him in the sacrament has led to where we're at now, and I, I believe that once we have that Eucharistic love, that Eucharistic um, devotion, that we're going to really change the world. Well, Nick, that is the key. You're, there's no doubt, and what a beautiful experience that you had. And uh, for all of us listening, whether we're lay people, priests, wherever we're at in our walk of life, that He wants to be known. Uh, the Lord does. He He knows that His presence is what heals us in terms of our loneliness. Uh, his presence in this world, He said He would be with us until the end of the age, that He makes all things new. He, it wants us to be a part of, you know, go and make of all disciples, but we can't do that on our own. That's a divine initiative. And uh, as priests, sometimes I think that, do we know who we're holding? I mean, do we, I always love it when I see a young priest celebrate Mass and, you know, he's kind of trembling and uh, his voice cracks. And, and I think, God, I, I hope I never lose that love, that first love of 
who am I to be able to say words that are not mine, to uh, unleash a power that is, is that comes from heaven and makes uh, Jesus here on this altar in this time and place. So uh, we need more of that. And um, I wrote down here something about, well, this comes from Cardinal Ratzinger years ago, because everything that the Lord wants to do is in that context of the sacrament. So uh, he became Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, of course, and he wrote, I mean, he had just a great way of, of summarizing things that I could understand better. So he said, the creed is, is what we must believe. The Our Father contains what we must hope. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, that's what we must do. And the sacraments, especially the sacrament, the Blessed Sacrament, Jesus in the Eucharist, is that vital space in which all of that happens. We can't really have a deep belief, a, a deep faith. We we can't have that great hope of the Our Father and, and the great practice of our We can't do anything with And Jesus said that you could do nothing without me. <laughs> and he's not kidding. I mean, there's a... And so, Nick, you felt, you know, for a little moment that you kind of were without him. And even that became a blessing in disguise to say that, that his real presence... Imagine what the world would be without the Eucharist. There, there could be no hope. But he'll be here, he promised, until the end of the age. The church and the gates of hell will prevail against her. And uh, so we have these things on promise by a God who keeps his promises. He can neither deceive nor be deceived. So, Nick, it's, um, we, we want to have that love, that, uh, that, that first kiss, that first love, that, that passion. Uh, that, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to renew in us constantly. Otherwise, we just kind of drift. You know, it's, We might believe in our head, but our hearts are cold, and they're not integrated. And uh, that's those are the conversions that God He gives us a first taste, but it can't uh, we can't stay there. He rise, let us be on the way. The Lord is a, a dynamic person. He sets his face like flint. He's heading to Jerusalem. He's not afraid. He's a, a God on the move, and uh, He wants us to be too. So, uh, yeah, I we are, are grateful, you know, for your witness, Nick, and uh, because uh, whatever lasting change comes in this world, it's going to be now. Uh, Jesus is the bread of life. He's the one, uh, like these guys on the road to Emmaus, recognized him in the breaking of the bread, which breaks hearts, but only to make them whole and uh, to help them to receive love first and then to to know how to give what really isn't ours. But uh, it is abundant and it is generous and it does heal uh, the love of God. Thanks for the call, Nick. And if you're listening and you've had that encounter with Jesus, maybe in the Eucharist like Nick, maybe in somebody you've spoken to where they said something and you had the chance to reflect back and say, you know, I think that was Jesus that was speaking to me there, or encountering Jesus in the words of the Gospels, um, things that he said, how that's impacted your life, how that's helped you to be able to grow closer to him. We'd love to hear how that has taken place in your life. And the number to call, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, or you can email life at relevantradio.com. We're talking with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. And we'll have more here on The Inner Life right after this on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 
1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin, talking about uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus and how it took a little while until they recognized Jesus there with them. And when have you had that opportunity to recognize that Jesus was there with you? How have you encountered Jesus? You can give us a call at 888-914-9149. And uh, Father Martin, right before the break, we were talking with Nick, and Nick had called and shared just his his profound experience. I mean, he just got choked up there. It was beautiful to hear that emotion in his voice of how real our Lord has made himself in the presence of the Eucharist. To Nick, uh, one of the things that is—I was going to use the word interesting, but it's also just saddening and a little disturbing. Uh, there's this 2019 Pew Research study— that according to at least this survey, only about a third of Catholics believe in the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And so one of the things that, you know, if we have that deep love, that devotion to our Lord in the Eucharist, but we have those around us that we love, and they don't necessarily have that same faith, you know, they, they might say, oh, you know, religion's good, or, you know, it does good things, or, you know, uh, some of those common kind of trite phrases that we might hear from somebody when they haven't really given it much consideration. And they say, no, that's good for you, but I- I'm okay here. How can we encourage somebody in their spiritual walk, in their faith walk, um, especially when that that opportunity presents itself without being too pushy, <laughs> without being, you know, kind of beating them over the head, but help them to grow in that appreciation and knowledge, and in their faith that Jesus truly is present in the Eucharist? Well, number one is to acknowledge that uh, whatever happens at the level of a person's heart and soul is uh, a very uh, sacred place. That's a place that God himself uh, is very respectful. And that's where a conversion always begins and ends. um, So we can teach maybe more effectively, but uh, it's not only an intellectual thing that uh, what we believe about Jesus in the real presence, uh, transubstantiation, and, and all the things that um, that the Church has articulated down through the centuries. Our witness is powerful, and uh, intercessory prayer. Uh, I read something recently where, especially the Blessed Virgin Mary, that when it comes to conversion, that's really uh, you know her job. That she said this to Saint Bernadette at Fat, or at uh, Lourdes, and so we want to have confidence not just in our own efforts, but um, also in those the men and women that already live in heaven, the saints. And But it, it, what we can do, uh, you can't give what you haven't received. That's the old uh, aphorism. And so we want to deepen our own relationship with the Lord That uh, because there's nothing greater we can offer than our own witness and uh, our own belief. And we don't know how that impacts others. We rarely get a, an insight into that. That's typically hidden, probably to protect us, to say that, oh, look at how wonderful I am every time I live my faith. You know, people are uh, changed forever, and it must be me. And no, it's it's Jesus in us, you know, and to have confidence that he'll do what's right and when the person is ready. 
the church proposes, but she imposes nothing. So we, uh, in terms of the real presence and being witnesses to it, do we believe it? Uh, how sincerely, how much time do we spend with him? Uh, this was where Mother Teresa had a, a Eucharistic heart that she spent uh, hours every day in front of the tabernacle. And that changes things, changes her first and foremost, but anyone to whom she was able to come in contact, she was, um, you know, this, uh, this burning light, uh, come be my light, you know, is what Jesus wanted her to be in the midst of a darkened world. And the opportunities are, are beautiful. I mean, we, we live in a tough place, a tough time. Uh, where there's a lot of fear, and perfect love casts out fear, and that's what Jesus, that's who he is, on that altar, in that tabernacle. Uh, I'd have to say for me, this this whole COVID business for the last year, I mean, uh, all the frustrations and the discouragement and the fear, I had to pray a lot. And uh, I can't say that, you know, I've, I've become an extraordinary saint, but I know that it, it helped my heart, you know, to find a, a balance that this too shall pass, uh, you know, parish life isn't over, and we're not all going to be bankrupt. And you know, that's what a pastor thinks about. You know, you worry about these things, and and evangelization goes on. The message can still reach souls, and it's one that gives hope. And uh, but we're going to constantly be challenged ourselves. That all conversion of the people we want to receive the faith, that conversion begins in our hearts, and that's where God wants to meet us. What about him? What about her? The Lord says, "You. What about you and me? Let's." Uh, and then he'll send us out. You know, you make us fishers of men. But um, he spent all that time with his first uh, followers, trying to form them. And even then, he said, "There are many more things I'd like to tell you, but you can't bear them now. So I'll send the Holy Spirit." And uh, we know how that went. That they all fell on their faces. Uh, but by God's grace, even that became a blessing in disguise. Well, and as you're talking here, Father Martin, it also makes me think of. You you shared, you know, as COVID came on, you know, oh, what am I going to do here? Is the church going to go, go bankrupt? And I know I do that so much in my own life. You know, this this comes up, oh, how am I going to handle this? But at that point, I'm relying more on Josh than I am on Jesus or the Holy Spirit and saying, okay, I know I've got this difficulty that's, that is in front of me here, and I... I know you want the best for me. I don't know what that is yet, God, but I know you want what is best for me, and I need to have that trust, that faith. And I think the the I'm not saying I'm a mature Catholic, but the more mature I become, it seems that I grow a little bit more in my patience and being able to say, okay, I really wish this was all just fixed and, and, you know, everything was tied up in a nice little bow for me right now, and it was all taken care of. But I, I do find myself being able to be a little more patient as I get older. That probably helps with having kids. You have to be patient if you have kids. Um, I'm presuming as a pastor, you have to be patient with parishioners, too. Uh, so, but um, that, that relying on Christ, relying on Jesus, not relying on ourselves— that's part of that personal conversion you're talking about. It's not an easy thing to do. It it takes it takes that time and prayer to be able to say, "I'm listening. I'm waiting. I'm trying. I'm trying." And even if we fail, we get to try again. Yeah, it's a a work in progress, like it is for everybody. But uh, yeah, I always, you know, Jesus keeps 
you know, things very simple. He says, let me help you. And, uh, well, no, I, I can handle it, and, but we can't. And, and then it's a matter of trust. So St. John of the Cross, I just read, where he was imprisoned by the Carmelites because he was a reforming priest, and they didn't uh, really take kindly to it, so they put him in jail. And uh, after eight months, he kind of gets out, but and he'd made a rope out of these blankets, but he couldn't reach the ledge. He ran out of blankets, so he, and it was dark, and he couldn't see the ledge. And the only alternative was to climb back up and go back to into that cell. But he had to let go, and he did, and he, he landed safely, and he was able to... But that's the, the choice God gives us, is that, um, you know, it's, it's not easy to get free of fear, of self-reliance, of handling things on our own terms when we want. And, and you know, Peter himself pulls the sword out and he's going to chop Malchus's ear right off. And we're going to do things our way, Lord. We're not going to let this go the way that you said it's going to go. But Jesus said, put the sword away. I mean, I get it. I mean, I, I see people get frustrated and they're going to just start, you know, it's the old spiritual bulldozer. We're going to make things right. We're going to put people in their place. And the Lord's like, whoa, whose people are they? You know, that's, that's my bride. That's the church. Those are my children. I want you to love them. You can suffer with them and for them and from them. But you're not going to save them. They belong to me. And he's a jealous God, <laughs> which is a good, for us, that's very good news because otherwise we'd take over and make an even bigger mess. So, he draws a line and says, uh, you know, why don't you just let me be God and uh, you can be a part of it, a beautiful part. Of it. He wants us. He calls us. He, uh, but he doesn't need us, strictly speaking. Uh, he can handle this on his own, but um, he does want us. It's good for us to be involved. So uh, those simple things that, you know, love my bride, which uh, in the case of marriage, very clear, and for us as priests, very clear, God's people, and then let me help you. And that's the part that... Uh, hard to admit that we need help you know we're lost and uh, we don't see very far and uh, but he sees fine uh, he reveals what we need when we need it one step at a time if he gave us everything we'd be done with him <laughs> thanks i'm out of here i don't need you anymore so he keeps us a little bit in the fog and that's uh he's a wise god right well and not only would we feel like we don't need him but we might be overwhelmed by getting everything all at once um you know i mean yeah, that that could be a little a little much on our plate at that point. So he's letting <laughs> us have true. what we need at that time too. Father Sam Martin, our spiritual director today, and Father Martin, let's go back to the phones. We've got Darlene, who's calling in from Austin, Texas. Hi, Darlene. Welcome to the Inner Life today. Hi. Hi. How have um, you encountered uh, Jesus in your own life? Okay. Um, when I was fourteen, my father was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and uh, uh, when my mother told us about it, I, I ran out of the room and uh, because, you know, it was a, 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 a big revelation. So I started praying, and as I was praying, um, uh, uh, this wonderful feeling came over me, this love that I've never experienced before. And it, it stayed with me. That was, I knew that it was the presence of God and that the Holy Spirit had come upon me. And I, I felt that love, that beautiful, beautiful presence and feeling for about three months. And then I, uh, and then it was gone after that. And I, uh, I don't understand why, you know, it, it left. And I, I think I've just been grieving that loss, you know, for a long time. I'm, I'm a Catholic and I understand that we have to live by faith. Um, 
but I I don't um, I haven't quite come to terms with with that feeling being gone, um, and and it lasted like practically all my life. I'm 66 now, and um, I think I've been you know grieving the loss of that feeling for um, off and on for all these years. I just wanted to know if you had any counsel about that. And Father, just so you know, yeah. we're down to just the last few minutes here of the program, sure. so I want to make yeah. sure you have time to respond. Yeah, Darlene, it's, um, you might read about Mother Teresa of Calcutta, a similar experience, that a real powerful you know, revelation about God's love in her life, and, and then years and years of darkness. And you know, not that she ever gave up her faith, but uh, and this all came out after she died in a lot of her kind of her spiritual journals and so forth. And some people were shocked, some scandalized, but some were, were actually uh, edified and because they have similar experiences that God doesn't, he's not a punishing God in the sense that it's just random and it's just for the sake of humiliation. He sees when a soul is ready. And there's something about suffering that uh, stretches us for greater glory. It's, uh, but it feels at the time that God has left us and St. Teresa of Lisieux, the little flower, she felt similarly. But at the end of her life, just before she died, uh, she said, grace is everywhere. Then she could see that, oh my God, I didn't know. I, I knew you once upon a time, and I, I never gave up my faith, but I, I couldn't feel you. I, I sensed this loss, this emptiness. And so, darling, what you describe is, um, is something that seems to be a part of the spiritual maturation, the preparation to live in that you the beatific vision to abide it in heaven and uh if you're experiencing that it's not a punishment you haven't done something wrong and i would if i were you you know maybe start with mother Teresa of calcutta and uh there's a beautiful book come be my light and then describes a lot of these experiences and what is it for it's to help us to become holy in the case of mother Teresa, some have suspected a worldwide figure that god didn't want her to to somehow think that she was a source and summit of those things but a recipient, so to keep her close to him, humble, not too, uh, you know, charged up with all the affirmation that she was getting from the world, uh, that he permitted her, not as a punishment, but as a uh, source of, of real holiness. And obviously she took it as, as that. So uh, we're grateful, Darlene, for sharing that experience. I'm sorry, because it is difficult and uh, causes confusion. Yeah. And the devil wants to, you know, capitalize on that, but let's not let him. I'd yeah. say that no, God is, uh, he reveals himself, uh, even in the darkness, his light abides in us. So thank you for the call, Darlene. Yeah, Darlene, uh, I'll keep you in my prayers, and I, I might also encourage you to pray during this Easter season, especially meditate upon those first three mysteries of the glorious mysteries, where the disciples would have been so excited to have Jesus back with them, but then he ascends, but he doesn't leave them alone. And they, they have the Holy Spirit that comes back and, and empowers and emboldens them. Our spiritual director today has been Father Sam Martin. And Father Martin, we're down to the last 10 seconds. Can I ask you to give a quick blessing for all of our listeners as we end the hour here? May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Amen. Father Martin, thank you for your time today. And thank all of you for listening and joining us here on The Inner Life. want to say thanks to Nick Schmitz and Jim Shaper for running everything behind the scenes, making everything go very smoothly here on The Inner Life, of course. And want to encourage you to stay tuned. We've got Father Ed Looney, who's going to be celebrating Mass. And of course, just like I was encouraging Darlene, make sure you pray the rosary every day. It'll change your life and you will change the world with your prayers. God bless you. Have a great day.